This podcast episode is on entrepreneurship, actually. I don't talk about entrepreneurship a lot on my YouTube channel or blog, even though it's one of the things that I'm probably more passionate about than, than, boy, I'm trying to think what else I'm as passionate about as entrepreneurship. I guess I don't spend a lot of time talking about it just because it is a subject that's covered so thoroughly by better blogs, websites, YouTube channels out there. And I don't know, maybe I'm a little insecure. I feel like I need to make more money before I can speak really authoritatively about entrepreneurship. But in this article, I have some angles on it that I think are kind of unique, so hopefully you'll find that useful. I want to start by answering a question, though, from a Mr. R. He said, I just bought some choline bitotrate. I also want to get some alpha GPC, but do I need both of these, or can I use one or another? Okay, that kind of depends upon your goals. So, I recommend alpha-GPC most highly because it is the most bioavailable version of choline, of the acetylcholine neurotransmitter precursor. However, other sources of choline, so your choline bitotrite, your acetylcholine, other sources of choline are going to turn into it, but it's just not quite as efficient. Alpha-GPC is the most direct, and I do recommend it highest because of the numerous studies that have been done on it. As a nootropic, it has a pretty impressive body of scientific research that's been done on it, and it's also demonstrated as one of the best anti-aging drugs. So if you're someone that's a little bit older and your concerns are things like cognitive decline, maintaining the mind, then alpha-GPC is going to be your best ACH precursor. However, if you're a younger person that is kind of budget conscious and you just want to make sure that you have some choline in your stack to balance out the racetams or whatever, you're going to be pretty okay just going with a, a more pedestrian choline source like choline bitotrate. Okay, the title of this article is Get a Job, Essential Entrepreneurial Values You Gain from Having a Job. And I actually start with a pretty fun picture of me with some friends I made in Costa Rica. From the perspective of pretty much anyone who knows me personally or follows my social media profiles, the whole entrepreneurial thing has worked out pretty damn well for me. I lead a pretty lavish existence. When I'm not working my own hours, From a comfy home office or gourmet coffee shop, I have a super active social dating and nightlife. 
I have already spent 60 days of this year traveling and adventuring abroad and I'm planning another trip soon. This article is a little old. That was 60 days at the time of the article. At this point, I've been traveling, living abroad, doing the digital nomad thing for four years. And I should note that there's no silver spoon here. This lifestyle is financed by my marketing and web development firm along with Limitless Mindset. Thank you guys for buying all those smart drugs via those sexy links on my website. I'm a part of the generation which increasingly believes that everyone should and can be an entrepreneur. That it's as easy as reading a book, coming up with a good idea, buying a domain name, and heading down to your bank to form an LLC. Maybe I'm just a really crappy entrepreneur, but I actually think it's way more difficult than that. This article will make the case that one of the most important steps to being an entrepreneur is to get a real challenging job and work really hard. Here is a brief yet colorful history of my pre-entrepreneurial job experience. <laughs> I promise this isn't just an exercise in narcissism. There's a lot of useful lessons in here. Grocery store courtesy cleric. That's right, we're going way back. For two years in high school, I bagged groceries, cleaned public bathrooms, and collected grocery carts from the parking lot during Colorado blizzards. It was pretty rough. Missionary. During the summers, I served as a missionary twice on trips to an Indian reservation in Washington and a rural community in the dirty south of Arkansas. During these trips, a disproportionately small amount of time was actually spent proselytizing. My days there were filled with activities like painting old ladies' houses, fixing up community centers, putting on drama productions, and helping out around schools. Waiter, busser, cook, and dishwasher. That's right. The the lavish positions of mine continue. In high school, I took a culinary class where I ran an actual small restaurant. During my senior year, I also worked in the front of the house of a couple of restaurants and had many moments which you can see in the ridiculous comedy satire about the hospitality industry, which was waiting. It was a pretty funny movie. It was just a comedy about waiters and how crappy of a job it really is. After that, I became a car salesman with mediocre grades, zero college savings, and a broke down old Porsche that I still owed $3,000 on. Upon graduating high school, I decided the best course of action would be to take on one of the most intimidating jobs in America. Somehow, with my youthful exuberance and clip-on tie, I talked the sales manager of a Hyundai dealership into giving me a job. I spent about a year in the industry and ended up selling at one of the highest producing Toyota dealerships in the country. Door-to-door, -door outside salesperson. I also spent a couple hard months 
walking miles a day while wearing a suit, knocking doors. This was a 100% commission gig. So rain, snow, or searing heat, I would do my damnedest to sell bored strangers a $60 golf or spa package gift card. Telephone marketer and mortgage broker. I started as a cold calling telephone marketer and after becoming proficient at generating one to two hot refinance or purchase leads an hour, I was promoted to mortgage broker. This was during the mid-2000s. There was a refinance boom. It was quite the boom time, actually, in the industry. So it didn't take long for me to go from a lowly telemarketer to structuring million-dollar finance deals and negotiating sophisticated relationships with real estate brokerages. Personal and business broker. Around my 21st birthday, I decided to trade the feast or famine insanity of the finance brokerage world for some corporate security and became one of the youngest bankers ever hired by U.S. Bank, actually. My days were filled with account opening procedures, structuring loans for small businesses, and trying to persuade my branch manager to forgive the ridiculous overdraft fees that the bank customers accrued. The most exciting part of being a banker was the day that we got robbed. Next, corporate advertising account executive. I spent two years working for a surprisingly good employer, Dex Medium, managing the advertising accounts of small and not-so-small businesses. Next position was marketing executive of an entertainment company. Someone looking at my list of ever-demanding jobs might think I traded the awesome experience of college to be a workaholic. Nothing could be further from the truth. During this time, I had a ridiculous social life that kept me out past midnight three to five nights out of the week. I eventually parlayed my social network, sales skills, and marketing savvy into a position at a startup entertainment company. This was actually a funded startup entertainment company. I'm sure you know someone that has done this in the bootlegged way where they're doing it on their own funds. In this situation, there was actually an investor involved and we were actually very well funded. Planning events at the Denver Broncos football stadium, pitching sponsors, negotiating with venue owners, coordinating guerrilla marketing campaigns, drafting contracts with bands, and preparing lots of proposals. What wasn't in my job description was dealing with the ridiculous antics of the company's cocaine-addicted CEO and the highly emotional, deep-pocketed investor financing the company who was, I can't make this up, he had uh, a clinical disorder diagnosed as multiple personality disassociative. It, it was a great learning experience, but it really was a dramatic company to be a part of. Lessons that I learned as an entrepreneur from the jobs above.
First of all, develop real skill sets. There is a myth of dubious veracity that entrepreneurs don't need actual skill sets. It goes something like this. An entrepreneur comes up with a really good idea. Entrepreneur raises capital because they are passionate and have a really good idea. And then the entrepreneur hires people who are smarter or more skilled than themselves to make said good idea happen. Many popular business books and media focusing on entrepreneurship in much more words than the sentence above, spread this message citing examples of highly publicized entrepreneurs who luckily found themselves at the intersection of market demand, technological innovation, and economic conditions. In the real world, entrepreneurs need at least the following skill sets. A technical or trade skill set. This is a skill set that is essential to the product or service that the business gets paid for. For example, the computer programmer that creates a killer app that is the foundation of a tech startup. The skilled chef whose culinary masterpieces attract customers to a restaurant. The scientist that makes a supplement that makes people healthier the dentist operating their own practice, the engineer that creates a useful widget that makes people's lives easier, or just ask yourself, how many bar owners have you met that do not know how to bartend? Sales. The product or service is most likely not going to sell itself, and even if it does, you are going to do a far superior job of selling it. The most direct path to increased revenue is almost always a flesh and blood person prospecting daily, doing needs analysis with potential customers, making pitches or proposals, overcoming objections, standing in the way of transactions and asking the prospect to buy. Until your company is large enough to hire and train a sales force, that person should be you. Marketing, whether it's video, word of mouth, print media campaigns, guerrilla marketing, really great ad copywriting, or one of the myriad forms of online marketing, you should be intimately familiar with at least one really effective way to make your target customers aware of what you have to sell. Content creation, an increasingly effective way of demonstrating that you know your stuff when it comes to your business is to create content about what you do in the form of written articles, videos, audio podcast programs, or graphics. While some of the technical side of content creation and syndication can be outsourced, any entrepreneur should be prepared to spend some long nights pounding away at the keyboard generating free content that is useful to their prospective customers. The two primary websites of mine, now I think I actually have more than these, but they were roselanddigitalagency.com and Limitless Mindset. I have for my business have at least 50 unique articles and dozens of videos that I've produced. Boy gotta update that. At this point it's hundreds of unique articles and videos, at least 150 videos that I've produced. Next skill set, accounting and legal. Once the above skill sets actually make you some money, you need to start worrying about how much of it 
goes back into the business, how much of it goes back to you for working so damn hard, and how much of it must be rendered unto Caesar. Well, there are plenty of accountants and attorneys who will gladly help you figure this all out for $100 an hour. My experience has been that unless you have a particularly exotic business model, reading a few books on accounting or corporation formation, lots of Google searching, and occasionally getting a free 30-minute consultation from an attorney will get you by just fine in the accounting and legal department. Going back to the theme of this article, the trade or technical skill set as well as the marketing and sales skill sets are almost always better to acquire while working in a job than while in the middle of starting your business. Your business doesn't start when you incorporate, build your website, or order your business cards. It starts when you make your first buck. If learning a technical skill so you can provide a service learning to manage your own marketing campaign, or being able to convince people that your product is the best, stands in between incorporation and profitability, your chances of succeeding in your endeavor decrease. Those who see themselves one day as entrepreneurs should look for jobs that will teach them these three essential skill sets. Tip, 100% commission jobs or gigs get a lot of grief, but they are unmatched as an environment wherein you will be aggressively coached and will be able to learn the sales and marketing skill sets fast. Do it because it is hard. And I've got the clip of JFK giving his speech about going to the moon and doing it not because it is easy, but because it is hard. Entrepreneurs are consumed with a desire to find the path of least resistance, and that's part of the reason why they change the world. Of course, it is more important to work smart than to work hard, but hard work is still pretty damn important to making things happen in business. While it's certainly not the most efficient way to make a sale, walking five miles a day, asking 200 plus strangers to buy your product builds a hell of a work ethic. When I started my own firm, my first few clients I acquired the exact same way actually, knocking doors. The point is that you have to get out of your comfort zone to get places in life or business. Unless you are a exceptionally bold person naturally, you are going to need some kind of mechanism to get you in the pattern of venturing beyond your comfort zone. While entrepreneurs are some of the hardest working and most committed people on work, they often look for ways to circumnavigate their challenges when they should be beating them to pulp, beating them to a pulp with a rusty crowbar. Mindset life hack is to eat a frog every day. The classic sales and personal development guru, Brian Tracy, created this strikingly disgusting metaphor. The very thought of eating a raw, live frog should give you a sensation of unpleasant disgust and fear deep in your stomach. 
It might even make your hair stand up. Now think about what there is on your to-do list for your business that you are avoiding because the thought of it is so unpleasant. Although maybe not to the same extent as eating a slimy green ribbiting reptile. Do that thing now. It might be a confrontational phone call, standing up for yourself, addressing a problem with your partner, firing an employee, collecting on an invoice, paying taxes, fixing a bug in your software, or saying no to an unreasonable request. It won't be easy, but chances are that it's bark or ribbit is worse than its bite. The anticipation of doing that hard thing is ultimately far more painful than the act itself. This is an amazing stress relief mechanism also. The importance of first impressions looking good and curb appeal. And I have a ridiculous photo of me with some old guys that I used to do business with, with our old Maserati. A frequent mistake made by entrepreneurs is that we try to sell our products and services to Vulcans. Those were the Star Trek aliens who make all decisions by logic alone. They were devoid of emotion, so to speak. We forget that our customers are human and that the hot cognition, emotional triggers of sexy, aesthetics, packaging, cleanliness, scarcity, and novelty are far more effective at impulsing buying decisions than feature benefit charts and competitive pricing. Over the years, I learned the chief importance of aesthetics and first impressions when it came to the things I was selling. Whether it was my religion to a troubled kid, my, my former religion, to a troubled kid whose school I was helping clean up, a pricey meal at a restaurant, a shiny new truck, or a mortgage for a beautiful house. Be wary of taking investors' money. The siren song of investment capital tempts all entrepreneurs. The fact of the matter is that investment capital can actually be a real bane to entrepreneurs. Bootstrapped budget run their companies leaner and smarter than those who can afford to make mistakes because of cash backing. If venture or angel-backed companies do survive their first couple years, it often results in the company operating while constantly in debt and paying interest. A lot of entrepreneurs who accept investment capital or bring on a board of shareholders actually end up having a boss who ultimately has more power than the entrepreneur. Think about Steve Jobs being fired from Apple, the company that he founded. Understanding and identifying the vast majority of the people in the world. I know a couple of entrepreneurs who have had the good fortune of never having a real job. While the creativity, intelligence, and ability to recognize and capitalize on 
opportunity that these people have is certainly impressive. They are generally douchebags in one way or another. As someone who has, in the past 10 years, had jobs ranging from basically untrained, unskilled labor to sophisticated corporate sales, marketing and management roles, it's pretty hard for me to meet someone whose career experience I can't relate to or empathize with the supreme importance of creating autonomous, profitable systems. Throughout my entrepreneurial career, I've had some very disheartening moments where I was flat broke or working ridiculously hard for an embarrassingly small amount of money. Contrast this to my stint in corporate America where I was always handsomely compensated for my time. I was part of a system a very profitable system that made money autonomously of how hard or smart I worked on one day or another. This reality serves as a constant reminder that the ultimate job of an entrepreneur is to create and improve similar autonomous profitable systems that make money.